How are you guys doing today? Doing all right? Whew, I'll be honest, I'm feeling a little nervous this morning. I don't know why. I don't know if there's like, I don't know. It's not your fault. It's my fault. But um, man, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Um, I, I didn't grow up in this church. I got introduced to this church uh, by some friends. And over the course of the last three years, it has been really exciting to get to meet some of you, to get to track with some of you, to get to meet some of you in the lobby and have just have you be honest and say, hey, this has been a hard year, but I feel like the Lord is doing something fresh, doing something new. And so you being here is just such an encouragement. And so y'all encourage me. You put wind in my sails, fuel in my tank. It's awesome. And so thank you so much. Um, this morning, I, I want to just give you permission to interrupt me, to raise your hand, to say, hey, that doesn't make sense. Can you say that again in like Williamstown English? Like, you know, I move around and speak lots of different versions, dialects, if you will, of English in different places. So if I'm not speaking proper Williamstown, Marietta English, please stop me, interrupt me, raise your hand, ask a question. And if you're online and I say something that like you don't have a clue about, post a question and I'll follow up with the staff here and I'll reach out to you specifically and answer that question. Um, if I mention something or if I mention a link or a video, I want to send that to you. So if that's something that you're curious about and you're sitting at home, I want to send that to you. I'd love to connect with you. Speaking of connecting, before I forget, in the lobby after service, I'll be hanging around, but I've got some stuff set out there. One of the things we try to do is we try to send out updates, emails, and if, if you're not already an integral, like, updated part of the Malawi Brady Bunch, we'd, we'd invite you. So our, my laptop's out there. would love to just get your contact information, your phone, your email. And then if something that Scott said, or not Scott, sorry, something that Tony said or Scott said or something that I say perks your interest and you have a question or you want to come to Malawi next year or you want to engage and figure out, hey, what does the financial piece of this look like? Put that on the line, on the laptop, and it'll give me a chance to follow up with you. So what's going to happen this morning is I'm going to show some pictures. I'm going to show some videos. I'm going to tell a couple stories. And then at 3 o'clock when I'm done, you're all going to go like, man, don't you have so much more to say? And yeah, like I do have so much more to say. So this is a conversation starter. Um, I'm not going to give you the, the whole picture. There's going to be a lot of things, unfortunately, that I don't have time to explain or have time to, to fill out the outline. Um, but I want to. I want to tell you stories. I want to pray with you. I want to share with you the miracles that we've seen, the, the, the hard things that we've walked through. And we're in the U.S. until September 8th. And guess what? When we're in Malawi, we have cell phones. Uh, we have internet. And so when I get to the other side of the world, I'm not cut off from you. I would love these conversations to go. Gretchen and I were talking about this morning, like, hey, what does it look like? Maybe put Zach on a Zoom call and set him in the children's church for a little bit or put Zach on a laptop right here and just to say, hey, what's up? You know, like there's ways, well, probably put me up there. That'd make a lot more sense. Um, anyways, I just, before I got started and telling stories, I just want to say thank you for being a part of this church, for being a part of what gives life to this church and what be, gives life to this community. And thanks for being wind in my sails, for being an encouragement to me. Um, but unfortunately, I am here uh, mostly alone. My dad came with me today, which was awesome. I had some friends travel in, but I don't get to bring the, the Malawi and Brady Bunch. So I got some pictures for you. The first one, oh, haha, that's not your job. It's my job. You gave me one of these. Bang. Yes. So this is my awesome wife, Carly. Um, she's a doctor. She practices emergency medicine in Malawi. Um, if you want to get a look under the hood of Carly Brady, you want to get a look in the brain and the heart of Carly Brady, on the welcome table is a hard copy of our newsletter. And in every newsletter, she includes a Carly's Corner. And again, if you're online, I'm happy to send that to you. Um, but this is a heavy year. We lost some close friends. We lost family. We lost loved ones, and we were kind of stuck, couldn't do much about it. And so we'd love for you to kind of get a, a full look at that. So Dr. Carly is um, amazing, and I really wish you could meet her this morning. But she is actually working uh, 
because she has to work so many hours to maintain licensure and credentialing and all that stuff. The, the Brady lady who's standing like this, that's Ellie, uh, Elizabeth Joe. She just finished kindergarten just in Malawi. They call it reception. And uh, she'll start first grade when we get back, year one. And then Miriam, the little girl in the, the orange, orange pink shirt there, Miriam is almost two. Um, Miriam Rose, she's a ton of fun. And I've got a few pictures to kind of, this is Miriam. Um, anything that Ellie does, Miriam's like, what's four years difference? If a five-year-old can do it, a one-year-old can do it, right? I can jump off this cliff. I can jump in that pool. And so, so we were hanging out at a pool yesterday, and I had to keep chasing her to put her floaty on her because if Ellie's in the pool and swimming, surely Miriam can be in the pool and swimming this is Ellie at one of her friend's birthday parties. She loves people so well. And I wish you could get a chance to see it in action. Um, but she, she is a absolute blessing. She's an incredible kid. Uh, this is Miriam. We call her Meerkat sometimes just because that seems fun. And because uh, we've got Ellie Bear. And then we're like, okay, Ellie Bear, Meerkat. That's how they go. Um, but we spend a lot of time, this is in our backyard. We have a trampoline in the backyard, and so uh, we spend a lot of time there as a family. This is what the beginning of a 25-hour uh, travel journey with a five-year-old looks like. This is what the end of a 25-hour plane ride looks like with a five-year-old. So Ellie and I came back a week earlier than Carly and Miriam this time because Carly was teaching some things, doing some things in Malawi, and couldn't get free, and it just made sense for us to, to kind of divide and conquer today or this trip. So, uh, so a lot of you, when you when you may have heard of Malawi, so the first time, honestly, the first time I heard of Malawi, I thought Maui. Like, you want me to God? You want me to go to Maui? That sounds fun. Like, we can move to Hawaii, uh, but. It is not Maui. It is this little tiny African country down in the southeast part of Africa, um, former British colony. And so we drive on the other side of the road. You shift with your left hand and manuals and gas pedals, brakes, all that's the same. But um, so the world looks a little different there. However, we don't live in a hut. Um, some people ask me like, hey, how do you raise two girls in a grass roofed hut? I'm like, well, I don't know. You have to ask someone who does. Um, we live in a city of a million people. And in this city are people from all walks of life, people from all over the world. One thing that's happened across Africa is its urban centers have become these melting pots from all around the world. Folks from China, folks from Japan, folks from the Middle East, folks from Lebanon, folks from South Africa, folks from all across the continent of Africa. But also there's all these like carryover folks from the colonial era. There's folks from England and the UK and Ireland all around Europe, and they're living in our city, running businesses, building buildings, running banks, and, um, and it's a really diverse place. So in a place like that with a lot of diversity, we, I get the privilege of working with the international schools. So this is the main hall at uh, St. Andrew's International School. And when I showed up at um, St. Andrews, as far as I know, there was like zero evangelical presence there. And so I pretty much just had to kind of knock on the gate and pray they let me in. Um, but over, and as, as, as the slides go, you'll see that the Lord has really, really opened doors in supernatural ways. Doors that I thought, it's literally going to take a miracle for this to happen, and it's happened. And so you guys have been praying for those miracles. You've been praying for green lights and open doors. And me being in the main hall with, I don't know, what, probably 30 kids, um, that's a miracle. Like what you're looking at on a screen is a miracle. Because these kids from, come from all different backgrounds. They come from Muslim families. They come from Hindu families. They come from atheist families. And families that when they, the, car, the, the parking lot, on school drop-off looks a lot like the parking lot here 
You know, you've got some super nice cars, you got some Lincolns, you got some Mercedes, you got some BMWs, and you've got some folks who spend all of their money on their kids and none of their money on their cars. <laughs> and, um, and that's okay, no, no judgment there. Um, but even these kids, just because they go to the same school, their background is wildly, wildly different. And um, I was talking with you about the different backgrounds. So this is, so my wife, if you can tell from the picture, she loves um, public displays of affection. It's like her favorite thing. And um, obviously that's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> cool. So, uh, but this is a Frisbee group that we've gotten connected to. One of the things about Blantyre is there's a lot of different little pockets where people hang out. There's a lot of little corners where people like to hide. And one of those pockets is playing Frisbee. And, and so probably half of this group um, wants nothing to do with spiritual conversation, wants nothing to do with, with um, when I tell them, oh, I'm a missionary, they're like, hmm, okay. And they're just not interested. So I just try to feel it out first, and then I often go with, well, my wife's a doctor. And then they're like, oh, welcome, right? Like you just, you have to like be careful which card you play um, when you walk into different places. But, but this group has been a lot of fun for us, and it's been a reminder of like, oh, yeah, the families that these kids come from. Most of these kids aren't growing up with mom, dad, loving each other, loving their kids. If they're lucky, they've got mom and dad in the same house. Um, but a lot of these kids come from broken families. A lot of these people are living in Malawi because wherever they're from, their family kind of fell apart and they're kind of running from that. And so a lot of the people in this picture have really, really broken pasts and kind of show up in Malawi hoping to like find purpose, find identity, find something worth living for. Um, because a lot of us hit 30, 35, 40 years old, and you're like, what am I doing? Like, I, I see white hairs in my beard. Like, and I don't, I don't love the rearview mirror. I don't, I don't love what I've done with my life until this point. And so there's a lot of people that just go, well, there's a lot of need in Africa, so I'm going to feel better about myself and move around the world and try to do something, try to find purpose. But the problem is when you detach purpose from Jesus, it's still empty, you know? And so, anyways, that's a lot of the crew that we, that we hang out with. Um, so one of the things that, that I'm going to try to do to kind of streamline our time is I'm just going to try to answer some questions that I get asked a lot. And then if there's other questions that you have, I would love for, again, raise your hand, stop me, ask the question. I'll try to get to it. Uh, and if not, I'll be around for a little bit afterwards. So this is what Malawi looks like. So when you zoom in on it, so the Malawi is about the same land mass size as Pennsylvania. You just take Pennsylvania and you stretch it out and you put a big lake down the side. So what's interesting about Malawi is uh, well, there's lots of interesting things. But when you look at the lake, the regions around the lake are predominantly Muslim. Because as Islam historically has moved south from the Middle East, they've come down the coast of Africa in the rivers, and they found their way to Lake Malawi a few hundred years ago, and they just settled. They're like, hey, this is fertile soil, it's beautiful land, easygoing people looking for hope, and so they sold them the Islamic version of hope. And there's a lot of what you might call like, a, like Middle Eastern, like brown Muslim families, but there's a lot of black African families who, who have bought in both, I mean, for generations who have been um, convinced that the Islamic worldview is the truth and is the way to know God and is the way to eternity. And so there is a real strong Muslim presence in our, in our communities, in our culture. Right across from Carly's Hospital is the biggest mosque, brand new shiny, it will, it rivals the West Virginia State Dome, you know, down in Charleston, how shiny that is. You drive by it and you're like, wow, 
feels like gives you a little bit of pride being from West Virginia. Well, the, the, there's this Muslim mosque in our city that rivals the shiny West Virginia dome. And so it's, it's a part of culture. You hear the calls of prayer go out, and that's just part of our, part of our world. And Malawi has dozens of different languages. And, um, but somebody asked me this morning, they said, well, how many languages do you speak, Zach? Well, for, lucky for me, England was the one who colonized Malawi, so I speak English and West Virginia English, <laughs> and that's about it, um, which, you know, I don't love that. Like, m- every single person that I know there that's not American speaks at least two or three languages, and so it, it really challenges my, like, and again, like, I love where I'm from. I love the United States, but the, 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 the ability that I have when I'm here to only see one way is, like, dangerous to my ministry there. And so listening, sitting across the table from people who know a lot more and a lot are exposed to a lot more really challenges the way I think, really challenges the way I communicate. So it's a really, really beautifully diverse country. And if you zoom in a little bit, our, our city is Blantyre, kind of in the bottom there. And so there's kind of cities, kind of Lots of rural areas. Somebody said, oh, you're from the Shire. I don't know if you can see that. The Shire, it's pronounced Shiri, the Shiri Highlands. That's a part of Malawi. So moving forward, so the often question I get to is, why Malawi? Like of all, there's so much need. You could be doing, why, why did you need to go overseas? Like what, there's a lot of need here as well, right? And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of need here. Um, However, when I first talked with Young Life Africa folks and asked the question of like, hey, what, what might God do with a young couple who says, hey, we're in, we want to be a part of this? And they said, well, we'll pray about it. We'll see, you know. And then they called me back and they said, hey, what about, have you ever heard of Malawi? Would you consider moving to Malawi? And I, of course, I didn't know where it was. They showed me where it was on the map. And then... Um, and I said, well, tell me about what God's been doing in Malawi. They said, well, we've got to back up a little bit. We've got to tell you the story of Wanangwa, Lusayo, and Sarah. And so these three folks were together back in Malawi early, like 2010, 11, 12, kind of right when Young Life Malawi was getting rolling. And these two guys were the tip of the spear, man. Young Life had sent an American person to kind of start Young Life in Malawi. And he really, he met these two guys and they were fire breathers. I mean, they just had a heart for Jesus. They had a heart for kids. And they said, hey, will you teach us Young Life and we'll teach you Malawi and we'll change the future of this nation. And so one of the kids that they first reached um, is now sitting, or one one of the guys they worked with right out of the gate is now sitting on the president's cabinet the Malawian president's cabinet. And so as we talk about changing the future generations, as we, as we talk about like having influence and how to turn a country upside down, like working with the high school students, working in an environment where kids have a chance to kind of outdo their parents and kind of be a part of bringing change in their own culture, like that's an incredible opportunity. And so these guys were doing that. And these guys were just, um, were going, going, going. Sarah was working with an orphanage and then saw some Young Life students show up, Young Life volunteers show up. And they kept showing up and they were loving on kids and loving on kids. And she said, man, who are you guys? Like, you're just showing up, loving on these students. Like, what are you doing here? Like, don't you have another job or something? And they're like, yeah, but we're, we're volunteers with an organization called Young Life. She's like, I don't. I don't know what Young Life is. Tell me about it. So they told Sarah about the way that Young Life goes after the furthest out kid. They don't set up, a, set up shop and wait for kids to come to them. They go and they volunteer on school campuses and they work with kids on kids' turf. They're volunteer coaches. They're assistant teachers. They're substitute teachers. They work in and around the schools just hoping they get a chance to share the gospel with kids. And, and Sarah's like, I'm, I'm in. So these three kind of became a, a three-quartered, three, 
braided rope, right? Is that the, yeah, that makes sense. So, but they were just going after it together. They had a team of folks that they were taking to Zimbabwe for training because Young Life in Zimbabwe has been going for a long time. So they took them there, had an incredible week of training, and then on the way back to Malawi, the tire burst on their van and it flipped and rolled. And these three saints, absolute gems, these three lost their lives in that accident. That was December 6th, 2013. And um, it left a grieving community, but it also happened to leave a busload of survivors. There was a handful of folks that were a part of that accident who didn't pass away, but got to spend the last moments of their lives with them. And um, this is a picture of, um, of obviously me, and then the lady in the middle, her name's Mpazo, and the lady on the side, her name's Chimwewe. These two ladies were married to the two young men. So in their mid-20s were all of a sudden widows. And they didn't want, they didn't sign up for this. This is not, when you get married at 23, you don't think by 26 you'll be a widow, right? Like that's not part of your plan. Um, but all of a sudden it was their reality. And Young Life came to them and said, hey, we don't expect anything from you. We love you. We want to sit with you. We want to grieve with you. And after six or eight months, these ladies picked up the baton and they said, God didn't just call our husbands to this. Like, we were called as a family to this. And so let's, let's go. And so because of God's work through them and their absolute just iron will of like saying, God, you are good even when I don't know why. Um, they kept answering the bell every day, getting up, going to the school, getting up, going to the colleges, recruiting volunteers, training volunteers, getting trained themselves and getting sharper and getting going further, meeting more kids, going, 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 going. So that in 2000, let's see, it would have been 2016, I took a team from the University of South Carolina and I went, we took uh, a team to Malawi to kind of say, hey, God, is, is Malawi where you're calling us? And I got off the bus at camp, and this is Chim. So from 2013 to 2016, God did something in her life where he didn't replace her husband. She still grieves him every day. But Chim found a joy that nothing can take from her. And, uh, and so we got off the bus, and Chim said, hey, welcome to Malawi, you know. And God is still alive in her heart. And Chim has found a way to drink the cup that he gives her, the cup of suffering, the cup of grief, and the cup of obedience, the cup of joy, the cup of rejoicing. All, it's all in there. <laughs> and, um, and so when I, when I heard their stories and I got to meet them, I said, I am in. Like, I don't know what it looks like. I'm not sure exactly what you're going to ask me to do, but I want to come be on your team. And so Malawi right now, I'm the only expat. I'm the only person without a Malawian passport that's on staff. There's 16 Malawian staff folks that are doing ministry across the country with local kids in local schools. If I showed up at a local school they would kind of expect me to like get out some circus balls and like da 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 like it would be like a sideshow. Um, but when they show up, they speak the language, they know the kids, they know the culture, they know the kids' lives. And so they are going far and fast. And I'll show you another picture in a minute. But if you want to know more about what it looks like to be a part of Young Life locally, Jeremiah and Lindsay Kuhn um, so three years ago when I came here and kind of gave this talk, I, I, I saw, I looked at my old PowerPoint and I was like, oh man, did I really say that? <laughs> One of the things I said to you was, hey, we want, I want the Bradys to be your gateway to Malawi. And I was like, that's so cheesy. Like, why would I ever say that? 
But Jeremiah and Lindsay were like, hey, we're in. If you're going to open that door, we want to go. And so they got to meet some of my friends and some of the staff people. And Jeremiah and Lindsay support a girl named Diana who's on staff there. And so if you want to know more about, like, the local Malawian, the Chichewa-speaking local school um, work, talk to Jeremiah and Lindsay. They've, they have firsthand um, connections there. So <clears throat> the other thing that I... I need you to understand is this, this yes was not a, um, an overnight yes, right? And I think a lot of times when, when we think about what God is calling us to, we imagine this like picture of like the Lion King, right? Like where the stars align and there's like this giant face in the sky that's like Simba, right? Like, and we think like, like that's how God wants to speak to us. And then it'll just be this like overnight I get it, this overnight epiphany. Um, that's not how it worked for me, and I, my guess is that's not how it'll work for you. The other, the other thing that I believe is that you're in this room today because, because God is somehow, way at work in your life. And I don't know what he's doing, I don't know what he's saying, but I know that he loves you and that he's got really cool things in store for you, and he's probably slowly been building them. You know, and so I don't know what it looks like for you to say yes today and yes tomorrow, but my hope is that like, because this calling that I'm talking about, my first trip to Africa was in 2005. And if you talk to my dad, he'll tell you that when I came back from, two, from that trip, I was there for three months and I was ready to drop out of college and be like, see ya. Jesus hung out with uneducated fishermen. I want to be an uneducated whatever. I'm going to go live in a hut and just preach the gospel. Let's go. There was some wise counsel that said, hey, maybe you should like finish your degree. Maybe like think first instead of like ready, fire, aim. Maybe you should aim a little bit before you fire, right? So, um, but from 2005, God planted this seed in my heart of being on that continent, doing whatever he asked me to do. And I didn't know where, I didn't know how, but I knew that it had to be in Africa somewhere, somehow. And I don't know what seeds the Lord has placed in your life. Some of them might be dusty. <laughs> Some of them might just be sitting on the top of the soil and they haven't really taken root yet. But my prayer is that our time this morning might put a little bit of water on that seed and that the, the pastoral team, the leadership team here can put some water on those seeds and say, what would our church look like if those seeds of calling, those moments where you can look back and go, I remember encountering God at this moment. And he gave me a vision. He gave me an idea. He pointed me in direction. And I haven't fully chased that down yet. I wonder what your life would look like if you did. I don't know, but I bet it would be awesome. <laughs> It'd be hard. It would be challenging. Because the thing is, like me, you see a need around you. When I look at Malawi, 75% of the population in Malawi is under the age of 25. Do that math. 75% of a country's population under the age of 25. So the majority of them are in high school age. So we have, Young Life has at our fingertips access to a huge slice of the Malawian population. And the only thing that's stopping us from getting to more kids is just our, our sheer numbers. We don't have the people to go do the work. And so we're praying every day, Lord, raise up laborers. Lord, raise up laborers. Lord, raise up laborers to do this with us. But if all you have is a calling and no need, or I'm sorry, if all you have is a calling and a need and you don't have hope, it can get real exhausting really quick. Because ministry without hope, life without hope is really depressing. And there's a lot of you who probably know that better than me. But there is a vision. There is a hope that when we sit across the table from a kid who comes from a family who listens to the advice of witch doctors, 
There is a hope that you can speak truth in that kid's life, that God will bring his word to life in the life of that kid, and the trajectory of that family tree will forever be changed. That's the hope. The hope is that we get to sit across the table from kids who are coming to Malawi from countries that you can't show up with a missionary visa. And so our hope is I get to sit, I get to teach a kid who comes from a closed country, I get to teach him how to play Frisbee. And while I'm teaching him how to play Frisbee, I'm inviting him to study the living word of God because he promises that his word will not return to him void, right? And so when I get to sit across a table from a kid and go, wow, did you know there's a God who loves you? Did you know there's a God who made you, who created you? <laughs> right? <laughs> Whoop, sorry. So this is our, this is our house. This is our uh, ground zero, our headquarters. This is not a hut, right? <laughs> this, somebody asked this morning, said, hey, what, do you live in a house? Like, in an apartment? Like, no, like, the Lord has blessed us. Like, we've got, we're in a sweet community with neighbors that we get along with, and we're getting to do life as a family in Malawi. And so when I invite you to come with us, I'm inviting you to, like, hey, we have hot showers, you know, like, we've got running water most of the time, you know, and, um, and this is what our yard looks like in the rainy season, when everything is green and lush and beautiful. And, um, and I had a video of my girls just running in the yard in the rainy season because it's one of those things where, like, every day in Malawi, something terrible happens. There's a news report. My wife sees something at the hospital. She comes home carrying the weight of that. And we prayed, God, give us a refuge. Give us a home that can be a safe place. Give us a home that we can use as a, as a center for ministry, as a place to bring people in and cast vision, a place to bring people in and help them feel like family. Because a lot of kids, you know, kind of the African Proverbs, it takes a village to raise a kid, right? And we often like read that it takes a village as like this very positive thing. But a lot of the reason it takes a village is because mom and dad have died or mom and dad are checked out. And so it does take a village. And so you're talking with kids who've been raised by their auntie, their uncle, their grandma. And so this, this is kind of our, our, our safe space, our space where we invite people in and come experience the love of the Father over a cup of coffee, over a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> this is really funny. So there's this, this kid, because of the live stream, I'm not going to tell you his name because chances are he'd hear about it and I, he'd never forgive me. Um, but I was at St. Andrews one day. And like I said, the way I get on campus is I offer to volunteer. You know, show up, knock, knock, knock. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Principal. I would love to volunteer. I'm a concerned citizen in the neighborhood. Do you have anything, any needs? How can I help? And so the particular need at this school at the time was the boarding students. The boarding students are kids that are living on site, right? Coming from all different walks of life, coming from different backgrounds, different stories, different things. And, um, and some of these kids, they come from like, their families live 15 minutes down the road. It's like, wait, I thought boarding school was for like kids that lived on the other side of Africa or like parents who are diplomats or whatever and they're always moving around. No, no. There's boarding students whose parents live in the same city and you're like, this kid, I don't know what to do with him. You raise him. <laughs> and they just like, at, at, in seventh grade, send their kid to live at school. Seven days a week, all through the school year. And so, um, and so one of these kids, after I was there probably three weeks, four, no, yeah, I don't know. I'd been there a month or so. We've been playing some Frisbee, been getting to know them, practicing, learning their names. And one of the cool things that we do is after, I try to really hard to learn a kid's name because there's nothing more familiar than your own name, right? And so when you see a kid that you've seen before and you go, hey, ah, I forgot your name, what they hear is you didn't really care. You didn't really think about me, you know? Um, 
And so in Young Life, one of the, one of the first things that like, I got taught to do is to carry a little notebook. And you learn a kid's name, jot it down, punch it in your phone, save it. Then every night, every morning, you get your list out. All right. And you go over their names. You pray for them. Because the other reality is, I told you about these kids' backgrounds. There's a pretty good chance you're the only person who's praying for that kid by name. You're the only person on the planet. Like, think about that. Like, those of you who are teachers or work in the school systems or, like, these kids that come from families who don't have a spiritual background, who aren't connected to, to God in any way, your relationship with them might be the only chance they get at their name being uttered before the throne of God. Think about that. So I get the privilege of learning kids' names. At this point, we know over 160 kids by name at these international schools. So I've got an Excel spreadsheet because my notebook, like, I think Miriam scrabbled all over it with a Sharpie at some point. So it's in an Excel spreadsheet now. And so every morning, every night, I scroll through the names. God, would you be with him? God, reveal yourself. God, reveal yourself. God, reveal yourself. So this kid walks up to me, and he's like, dude, don't you have, like, a job or, like, a family? Or, like, like what are you always, why are you here? <laughs> he's like, why are you teaching us Frisbee? Like, what are you doing here? And it was one of those moments where, I don't know if you've experienced this before, where, like, you lock eyes with somebody, and then you just hear the Holy Spirit go, Wah. and so I just looked at this kid dead in the eyes. I said, man, here's the thing. I believe with all my heart that there is a God who made you, who designed you, who made you a size nine sneakers, who, who made your hair grow the way it grows, and he loves you, and he's excited that you are the way you are, and he loves you so much. And he's got incredible things planned for you. He has a purpose for you. He's, he has a calling. He's inviting you to something incredible. And you can know him. Like, you can know his voice. And he wants that for you. The, the Bible doesn't have to be story. It doesn't have to be a, a history lesson. Like, like, there is a God who knows you, loves you, made you. And I said, and I just, I just don't know how else you were going to hear that. I was like, unless I came and taught you Frisbee, you wouldn't hear anything I had to say. If I showed up and handed out Bibles, here, 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 read this, read this, read this. Every single kid go, thanks. And not to take away the work that the Gideons do, because Gideons do incredible work. And I've met kids on the high school campus who I say, hey, do you have a Bible? And they're like, yeah, um, some guy gave me a Bible once, and they show up with the Gideon Testament. You know, my uncle's a Gideon. They do incredible work. But if I showed up on campus with an agenda, with, with anything other than a Frisbee in my hand, half of the kids that I know by name now would have never heard another word I have to say. So I just met them where they were. They didn't care about spiritual things, but I cared about things that they care about. See, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care about them, about what's, their, what's important to them, about what's in their world. And that's kind of a, the, the young life way. Is like, so I said that to the kid, and I said, and God wants you to know him. And we can know him in, in his word through the Bible. I said, have you ever studied the Bible? He's like, nope. I said, would you be interested in like taking a look at it with me? He's like, I don't know, maybe. I was like, well, what about some of your friends? Do your friends read the Bible, or like, do they have any idea what the Bible's about? He's like, no. Nah. <laughs> he said, dude, we don't know anything about that. And I said, why don't you bring some of them, and we'll just open it and read a little bit, see, see if it makes sense. He's like, <laughs> all right. Like, kind of like, this is not going to work, but whatever, dude. <laughs> you know, I imagine it was kind of like Peter's mindset, like, <laughs> the net on the other side of the boat? <laughs> okay, whatever, dude, you know. And like, and just as Peter pulled all those fish up, when I handed this kid a Bible, I said, here, open it, see what you think. He opens it, and he goes, what are the um, big numbers and the little numbers? 
I mean, he had never had his eyeballs on the inside of a Bible. And so we read the story of the woman caught in adultery, where these religious people throw this woman at the feet of Jesus. Hey, we should stone her, right? And Jesus just kneels down beside her, and just draws in the dirt. It doesn't tell us what he wrote, but he wrote something in the dirt. And that's just where we stopped. I said, how many have ever felt like this woman? Had somebody who felt like they were better than you throw you in front of a principal and teacher, a mom or dad, and say, look what he did. He's a screw up. And every single one of them with tears in their eyes, I said, yeah, that's my life, dude. I said, how awesome that Jesus just kneels down. Maybe he played tic-tac-toe. I don't know what he did in the dirt. We don't get to, it's not in there. But he kneels down and he's with you when everyone's pointing fingers. I said, and that's what this is all about. This is about a God who kneels down with you and once chooses to be with you when nobody else does. You wanna, you wanna read a little bit more next week? Yeah, cool. So that's what we've been doing for the last like nine months is just showing kids the God of the Bible through the person of Jesus one day, one week at a time. Um, oh, man. So that's my job. <laughs> that's what I get to do is I get to go on campus. I get to be with kids, meet them where they are, and share the truth of gospel with them, share the, share the truth of God with them. It, on the slide, it looks kind of neat, right? Like to give young people a chance to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. See, a lot of places focus on, we want people to hear the gospel, hear the gospel, cast the seed, which is great. But giving a kid a chance to respond can take a long, long time. And so I don't know how long we're going to be in Malawi. It might be three more years. It might be 10 more years. I don't know. We'll be there as long as the Lord says stay. But there's a lot of you who are praying for kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. And you're waiting for them to respond to the gospel too. I know that wait. I know that pain. I know that sorrow. I know that almost that grief that you feel. But I just want to encourage you, don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop meeting them where they are. And I wonder what your relationship with them would be like if instead of being the Pharisee who's always pointing out the things they do wrong, you sat and played in the dirt with them like Jesus did. It's worth a shot. Sorry, I didn't really plan to say that. So how does it all work? Man. What's up? I don't even know. I'm, all right, I'll be quick. Here we go. This is how it works, right? We start with relationships. We start slow. We build deep. We get to know people. We train leaders. We do these things. We cast vision. We do Bible studies. We do all these things. We invite people in. We celebrate. It's this cycle of, of building relationships, casting vision, inviting them, right? Not kicking them out, but like inviting them in. Not telling them to go do something, but to come with me, right? Like Jesus, all the time he said that. He was like, hey, no, no, just come and see. Hey, no, no, just come, come with me, right? It was this invitation. And then, and then we celebrate. That's the cycle. That might not make a lot of sense to you, but this video kind of explains. This is how we spent a morning with the volunteers that I'm training. And this is a drive around our city, around Blantyre. Made my way to the borderline Looking up towards the friendly skies Everything that I thought I had Taken right before my eyes, oh yeah. Give me faith, give me love, cause I need it Show me grace, make me strong, let me feel it where to go, can I walk to redemption? Don't know how we'll be okay, 
done with Kalibu Academy. Oh man, it was a nice tour. We really enjoyed ourselves. Now we are going back. Question. Yeah, so the first question was, do you have a lot of fear? Um, the Bible says perfect love drives out fear, right? Um, and, and Paul's writing that to his, Paul or Peter? Anyways, it's coming from a spiritual leader to someone that they're discipling, someone they're pouring into, right? And they say, and he says that because, like, you wouldn't have to say that. You wouldn't have to say perfect love drives out fear if fear was not a reality that every single one of us dealt with. So do I experience fear? Yes. Do I fear for our safety? Not like I don't drive around like with my windows up and my doors locked thinking someone's going to like punch through my glass. I'm not worried about fear in that way. I think the fear that I, I wrestle with is I don't want to blow it. <laughs> I want to represent Jesus in the way he deserves to be represented because he is worthy of my absolute best. So I'm fearful that my flesh, that my weakness, that my flaws will somehow skew the gospel, and somehow misrepresent my Savior who is beautiful and perfect and worthy and loving and gentle because I'm not always loving and gentle. 
And so I think that's my, my fear. The second question was, what's COVID like? Um, the short answer is the numbers tell a really, so there is over 20% positive test rate right now in Malawi. So in the last couple weeks, there has been over, but they don't test that many people because most people live in the village, right? So a lot of the tests are done in the cities. Um, and so reported numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 or two or 300 positive tests a day. But in the last week, we've had between 20 and 30 deaths a day. So that's 10%. You know, that's an, that's, those numbers aren't good. And if you read Carly's Corner, you'll see that it's, um, it's a scary thing. You know, like some of you saw, I've got a mask on this morning. Like, I'm not going to debate masks. I'm not going to debate or argue with anybody. But I, I just want to be careful and safe. And, like, I love you and trust you and, you know. So, yeah, it's been hard. It's been heavy. Um, last couple things, and then I'll be done. This is just a little bit of a ministry report so you know some names of schools to be praying for. So right now we've got three active ministries at St. Andrews High School, which you saw pictures of, at Hillview High School, and at Hillview Primary School. So in Young Life, there's a, a little arm of Young Life called Wildlife because kids that are in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, they already have what they need to make a decision to follow Jesus, Right? And so getting to sit with a fourth grader whose parents brought a witch doctor to the house to scare him so that he would do better in school. Like, I mean, and this, these are not like poor families. These are families who spend $9,000 a year to send their kids to international schools. But they feel like the best way to whip their kid into shape is to bring a witch doctor in the door and scare the life out of him. And then he comes to school, and no wonder he can't, like, figure out what two plus two is because his, he's scared. That's what fear really is. And then the other four schools right now that we have contacts at, that we're building relationships with, that we're building ministry, is Central High, Mount View Primary, Kalibu Academy, and St. Patrick's High School. So those are schools that we have, we have contacts with the administration, some alumni, some teachers on campus, and we're trying to figure out what does it look like to kind of crack the code and get on campus. And so we're, well, we're also, the, the folks that were in that truck with me and the folks you'll see in pictures in the newsletter, there's a, about seven volunteers that have said, hey, I don't know what this looks like, but I want to do this with you. And so we're, we're working together, doing a lot of stuff. So some, some numbers, like I said, we know 162 kids by name right now, which is huge. It's a lot of kids. It's a long time sitting before the Lord, naming kids, you know. Um, and right now, of those 162 kids, in the last year, since last September, 76 students, 76 kids, I got the privilege of sitting across the table, sitting at a, in the field, sitting on my back porch, and opening the Bible and introducing them to the God of the Bible through the person of Jesus. That's awesome. Like, these were both zero a year ago. But because of the, the two years of kind of tilling the soil and watering the soil and doing those prayer drives, God started opening doors for us this year. And it has been incredible. Um, so this is the wildlife group. We just had a big, it was just awesome, huge tug of war game. This is the back porch of the family who hosts our wildlife club. And so you can see her daughter, who's in the high school club, like she's playing guitar. So she's in eighth grade at the high school and leading songs for her, for wildlife, you know? And so it's just, it's doing life with these kids, it's teaching them to have an impact uh, right where they are. This is what life looked like for us a lot of times. You know, schools would close, COVID would spike, and we were right back onto WhatsApp group calls, Zoom calls, but nobody else was connecting with these kids. These kids were just hiding in online chat rooms and video games and everything. So I'd say, hey, are you free? And they're like, um, yeah, I've got nothing going on. And so because of the hard work of us like keeping up with them while things were shut down, that meant a lot to them. 
Um, this is at the high school, St. Andrews High School. This is the kids. We're out. We've t- so I took an American football and spliced it with ultimate Frisbee rules, and we called it ultimate football, and they thought it was awesome. <laughs> and so that was, that. that was a good day. This is the leadership crew. That was some, these guys were in the truck with me that day, but you didn't get to see all their faces. Um, so pray for these guys. Pray with us that God would add to that team. Uh, this is the inside of the truck. This is a manual in the front seat. And then I was telling you about the, the gal that Lindsay and Jeremiah support. She's behind Emmanuel. Her name's Diana. She's in the back seat there. Um, I work with some of, Malawian, some of Malawi's sharpest. These guys all have four-year college degrees. And instead of going to work as a civil engineer or going to work as a graphic designer and make really good Malawian money, They've chosen to make a decent wage, but Young Life pays kind of middle of the ball. They don't, there's not, anyways. They've chosen to make that sacrifice and serve with Young Life. They're incredible humans. And there'll be, there's another video where you get to hear from some of them. They'll, that link will be on y'all's website. It's, um, it'll be on the live feed. There'll be links for you guys to kind of get to see and hear more. But this is it, right? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus did for us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so that's the, that's the job description right there. Is that we get to be the word. We get to put, we get to be the living word in front of these kids. We get to introduce them in such a way um, that, that we have the hope that their life will be forever changed, that their eternity will be changed. Um, some of you asked me earlier some like numbers questions. I'll be really honest. I don't mind letting you know this is what I make. I make about 47,000 a year. So if you're considering young life as a career, that's what you got to look forward to, all right? Um, but the other thing is like all of these things that God has done, all these open doors that we've walked through, they cost money. And when we started this journey about three years ago, we just kind of like guessed. There was a lot of guessing. Um, and we guessed mostly right for the first year and a half. But this second year and a half, as the, as the Lord has opened doors, as we've had to travel, as the opportunity to provide travel and provide training for some of these guys has come up, a, a lot of that just costs a lot of money. I'm not gonna walk you through all these line items. I'm happy to send this to you, to discuss this with you, to show this to you. But one thing I do wanna point out is right now, we've got about $80,000 a year pledged that's coming in, which is awesome. But in order for us to do everything over the next 12 months that we feel like God is calling us to, to rent an office, to move into these different schools, to provide leader training, to help us send our girls to the international schools. That's a part of the benefits package. We're hoping to raise about 120000 annually. Just so you know, I just, I don't want there to be any, like, you feel like, oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Nope, there it is. And so that's where we are. And so if you want to be a part of this process, the financial process, there's pledge cards out there. I'll stick around. I would love to answer questions. I would love to jump into this more. But more than anything, I just want to say thank you, you know. I want to say thank you, and I want to invite you to come and see. Because Jesus knew at the beginning of his ministry, and if you've never read this before, I would check, check it out. So at the beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist baptizes him, and then there's this couple days go by, and John the Baptist has this group of disciples, right, that, he, that were following John the Baptist. And they're walking along, and Jesus is walking. And John the Baptist turns to his disciples, the, the men that thought John was the best. And he said, behold, check him out. That, that's the Lamb of God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's Shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. He's the one. And so some of his friends were like, um, okay. So they went over to Jesus. And Jesus is just walking. And he notices some people behind him. And he turns around and he's like, hey, um, can I help you? What are you looking for? And they were just, I imagine they were just like, oh. 
And they said, um, where are you staying? <laughs> Stupid. Why do we ask that question? <laughs> right? Like, where are you staying? And he just very gently says, come and see. Come and see. And I think he extends that invitation to you as well. God, what are you doing with this seed of calling? What are you doing with this vision? What are you doing with these things? And he just says, I, I, I can't tell you what five years is going to look like. I can't tell you what three years is going to look like. I can't tell you what next month is going to look like. But just come and see. I love you guys. I appreciate this privilege. I appreciate the time.